Blue Blood. It's an odd little film, 1973, called a horror film, called a thriller, but I think it's different to that. I think it's a conspiracy theory come possible documentary. Find out why here. basic story here is one we've seen before feeds back to um, Joseph Losey's The Servant, Harold Pinter's script, Dirk Bogard as The Servant and uh, James Fox, uh, sorry Edward Fox as uh, as the master and it's a sort of, um, it is a master-servant movie and it's similar to that. So you've got a, a country house which is open to the public You've got a bit of a dilettante master who runs a bit of an open house. And there's a um, faux demonic, I suppose, servant. And it's about the way that the life is and the way that allows rules to be subverted and the way that things eventually flip, particularly with the nanny who is looking after the two children. The most important thing in the house, because... They are the heirs. And if they don't survive, then the house goes to a family in South Africa who's part of the bloodline and they can't have that. So that's the basic story. But there's a lot more to it than that. Because you see, this was made in 1973. And you may call me a conspiracy theorist, and please do, it'd be the nicest thing that people call me generally. But in 73, we had a new government. And it was a Labour government. It was Harold Wilson's Labour government. And remember what had happened with the previous Tory government? Starting in 70, Edward Heath's government, we had the three-day week. And why did we have that? Because of strikes around the oil and the coal industry. And so, there wasn't enough power to light people's homes and to run business for five days a week. Heath comes in, settles those strikes. But how does he do that? He does that by giving the workers supposedly what they wanted. And this caused fear. This man is a trade union man. He is a labor man. And it seems hard to, um, it seems hard to believe this now after all those years of Thatcher and years of Tory rule and new Labour Tory rule. But, you know, at that time, one of the most one of the most important men in the country was a trade unionist. The Transport and General Workers Union leader, Jack Jones, who was always into 10 Downing Street, beer and sandwiches, talking about deals made between the workers and the politicians to keep productivity going. He was the one who agreed to the social contract, which is that you keep wages at a certain percentage. And when that contract was broken in 78, 79, probably 79, Jim Callaghan, who of course took over when suddenly Harold Wilson left, 
had a problem on his hands. So, you know, trade unions were really important. It was about, it was about getting the power to the workers. And although there were um, trade union leaders, that was bad enough. But there were also trade union shop stewards who became militant, not with a big M, we're not talking about the militant tendency here, militant with a small M and had their own cabals, in some people's view, not my view, but in some people's view, of workers. It was all hands up in the car park, should we go on strike? And that was the case. People like Red Robbo, part of British Leyland, you know, part of the workforce. And productivity was low. And a lot of people blamed long-haired, striking workers in trade unions. Remember, trade union membership peaked at 13 million in 1979. It's not even half of that now. And also at the time, because of the fear, there were conspiracies. And Harold Wilson, when he left office so suddenly, suggested this was something that had happened. Right-wingers and influential right-wingers outside of the parliamentary world were looking at... um, their colleagues and friends in the SAS and looking to stage a coup. And not just one, there were several reports of this. And then to install in in one coup attempt apparently, Prince Philip that layabout royal in my view into uh, run the country and then to have some kind of martial law to bring the country back to proper right wing values. And that feeds into this movie. You have the old guard. You have the master. A hereditary peer. Played with... With real... Attempted empathy. But real foppishness, really. But left-wing empathy, in a way. By Derek Jacobi. He wants to see democracy rule. But what you've also got are the Below Stairs group. It's like upstairs, downstairs, only with more at stake. And they are led by the butler, Tom, played by Oliver Reed, who has a real charisma, as we know. And they're not interested. He's not interested in geography. Geography? He's interested in geography. He's not interested in democracy. What he would like to see is to take this place by force. He's not interested in compromise. He wants to control, and that was the fear that these people, these working class and working men and women, mainly men, of course, at that time, would take over the country. Of course, what happened was that that was neutralised in the 80s because Margaret Thatcher said, you can take place in this country, you can have the country. You can't really. You can have a little bit of it. You won't control it. You won't control the means of production here. But you can have a new front door and you can buy your council house. In the meantime, you won't get paid in cash anymore. Not in, not in a pay packet. You'll have, to have, you'll, you'll have to have a bank account. And so your direct debits will go out of that first. And that'll make you worry about striking, won't it? Because we control your flow of money. So I think that feeds into this film. 
It's a social commentary on what was happening at the time. There's also a bit of Lord of Misrule here, right towards the end. There's something mentioned around, um, around a certain rite of spring, and we need to have an orgy, and then we need to have a dance and take over this place. It's one of the half-baked, half-mentioned ideas in this film, more of which later on. But it's about the, f the last will be first. This used to happen, of course. It used to happen in, in villages that there would be someone who um, would be someone who wasn't seen to be a leader of the village who was then elevated just for one day. And all of that takes place just for one day. And then we all settle down. That's continued in films like The Purge which is a very successful franchise at the moment. Everybody goes mad for one day and kills whoever they want to. And then we all settle down again. It's important to blow off steam. That's the basis of this movie, I think. It's a really dangerous idea. That, you know, the old guard is gone. These strong, bullish, working men will take over and they will take it by force. Now that would be a really dangerous thing and it would be a dangerous movie akin to movies like A Clockwork Orange, for instance, if it wasn't for the issues with this movie. There are some real issues with it. I mean, that won't be in the direction. It's a mid-70s film, so it's quite, in inverted commas, groovy. You've got some fantasy sequence that are all red. There's a lot of drug taking in there, a lot of lovely costumes, and I have to say that um, Derek Jacobi wears kind of faux Edwardian costumes, very nicely done. Very well done, actually. It's not that that's the issue. The direction's okay. It's the performances. Some of them. Chief among them, unfortunately, Oliver Reed. I'm not quite sure what Oliver Reed is doing in this movie. When it, was, when it came out, people uh, said that, well, some critics said that he played it with a kind of eye-popping and a sibilant way, and he's supposed to be fairly demonic, but what you get is Oliver Reed doing a kind of uh, Phil Cockney kind of thing, sir, from the, from the music hall or the kind of thing that Peter Cook would do. And you could get away with that kind of thing in the 70s. Remember Peter Cook's um, and Dudley Moore's Sherlock Holmes film, in which Peter Cook decided just to play Sherlock Holmes with a cod Jewish accent. That's the kind of thing that you could get through and that people would pay to see. And that's what, I don't know why he does it, but that's what he does, I suppose. He deci he's decided to do it because it sounds like a sort of snivelling take. But that doesn't work at all. It just makes him sound like he's sort of playing at it and not really into the movie, you see, sir. It's such a shame. Spends a lot of time showing his charisma, not speaking much. There's a nanny in there, played by Meg Wynn Owen. She's a European nanny, and as the children are physically hurt, and a doctor comes in at one point and says, one of your children has had his finger broken. It happened weeks ago and ribs broken. 
there's some dispute over whether this is Tom, Oliver Reed, whether this is Gregory, Derek Jacobi, who's taking his eye off the ball because he's living such a dissolute life. Although it doesn't seem that dissolute, to be honest, from the film. More of that in a bit. Or whether this is the nanny. And she plays it with a kind of disconnected quality, which fits with the, with the part somewhat. But um, it's easy to do. And it, because it's disconnected, we don't really feel for her. In fact, we don't really feel for anybody in this movie. I don't really care about Gregory because he's a posh bloke who is trying to be a bit left-wing, like those middle-class people who set up the kind of schools without rules in the mid-70s. All of that. I don't feel for, um, for Oliver Reed because he's just a bully, or he seems to be just a bully. And I don't feel for the nanny either because she doesn't seem to feel for anything herself apart from that she feels looking after the two children is too much. You've also got in there a wife who's also uh, an international singing sensation and she sings a song, a terrible song actually, while a montage takes place later on. She comes and goes and she's played by Fiona Lewis, who was much liked at the time and did quite a few movies, um, including Listomania. She was in Dr. Fibes Rises Again. Um, she was in uh, Inner Space. You know, and she has a kind of... Um, a kind of high class and frosty... Uh, demeanour and charisma about her and that, that works quite well in that role but nobody really grabs you I have this issue with Harold Pinter's script for The Servant as well I don't really care about either of those characters either but that might be because I'm sneering at both of those those examples of class if we actually have class now, which I don't think we really do, sadly. Eventually, Oliver Reed, Tom, just simply takes over the house. There are some um, fantasies or dreams, or maybe this is happening, of a kind of ritualistic uh, orgy, uh, which also involve naked children, and I'm not very keen on that, to be honest. The children aren't treated very well in this film. Just before he, uh, just before he he walks the length of the of the hall and stands outside at the end of the film, Oliver Reed has a, a scene where he says to the nanny, "You can go," and he just sort of um, not hits, but cuffs one of the kids to say, "You can keep quiet." That kind of thing wouldn't happen now, and quite right too. So he does take over in the end, but there doesn't seem to be any reason why he's doing that. It just seems to be the natural order because Gregory is so weak and so um, consumed with his own appetites that Tom is the only one who is connected to himself. But there is no political discourse or basis to that. 
And there does need to be some comment around that, particularly as you are somebody who is downstairs taking over upstairs. It's an interesting movie. And it's very interesting to see Oliver Reed getting away with work of that nature. But I wouldn't want to watch it again. This is only the second time I've seen it. And I remember it being okay the first time. I don't remember it being that okay this time. Three out of five Ramble rating. Because it's got Derek Jacobi in it. And he's doing a, a, a damn fine job with what he's given. But. Blue Blood is only okay. And if this is what. The posh boys and girls were worried about then they really shouldn't have been bothered. Ta-ta!